The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. 18! It's the number of points the Lions were up in the fourth quarter against Arizona. They had this game won. And I blame one person in particular for this loss. And his name is Matt Patricia. 52. That is the number of points Bowling Green gave up against Kansas State. Do you want to know how many points Bowling Green got? The NFL is back. It's the same old LOL Lions. And the Browns are overhyped. Being blown out by Tennessee. The Indians continue to win. Getting back on the right page. Are now on the West Coast. For big games against the Angels. While Detroit... Absolutely amazes me. Ohio State continues their run and wins the Battle of Ohio while Michigan struggles against the Army. And on this day, 2001, we saw a huge tragedy in this country. September 11th is a day that we will never, ever forget. You're listening to All ADL for tonight, right here on the Anchor Network. Guess who's back? All ADL for it. And a shot at a goal. 54 runs in the span. I'm going to get shut out. Dumbino. Hip to a home run. Go, Jack. That's way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears. It's time for all Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, oh, I love you guys. And welcome into another edition of All Andy Alfred right here on your exclusive home for me, the Anchor Network. And you are listening to me on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, however you listen. Wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyElfred. It is at AllAndyElfred. And on Facebook.com slash AllAndyElfred. So welcome aboard. Last night we were planning on doing the podcast, but our, uh, our equipment had a failure. Of course, we are back on the air tonight with some new equipment. Uh... 
sounds really good tonight. I uh, got to admit that um, off the bat. So if you have any audio audio uh, problems, please let me know, whether it be on Twitter, at AllAndyElford, or on Facebook when you're listening to the podcast. I do appreciate you guys tuning into the podcast tonight. A lot to get into. Of course, we are going to talk about the Indians. The Indians are out in the West Coast as they take on the Angels of Anaheim. We will we'll dive into that. How about the Tigers beating up on the Yankees last night? We'll dive into that as well. And the continue to row to 120 losses for the Detroit Tigers. We'll dive into that. Also, we will talk about what is happening tomorrow at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard. The players are back. Yes, media day took place this afternoon with Jarmo Kekalainen and John Tortorella, you'll hear some of the audio on that tonight, as well as an Andy Rance that you cannot miss. Like I said, you can be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyElford. It is at AllAndyElford and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyElford. Eighteen. Eighteen points that this Lions team was up. Now, I was going to leave. It was a terrible weekend for football with me. Absolutely terrible. It was honestly one of the worst weekends for football for me. My picks were wrong. Uh, and, and for me, I think of Monday as the Monday after week one. A lot of people think it's over overhyped Monday about your team and how they perform and everything like that. Well, it, it's to be expected with me because how bad the Lions are. The Lions have some great pieces. I got to give credit to that. Got to give credit for that. Hawkinson is, oh my God, a bright spot on this team. This team was up 24 to 6 at the beginning of the fourth at towards the beginning of the fourth quarter they were up 24 to 6 and they let Arizona back into this football game they had a chance to ice this game to put it away but Mav Patricia and his offensive guru, I call him his goofball, call a freaking timeout on a third and five play with the Lions having the football. If they, this, and this was after. David Johnson's touchdown. So the Lions had the football. The Lions had a fo- the football to win the game and to ice it. To absolutely ice the game. But that goofball, that stupid idiot, decides to call a timeout. Two seconds left in the play clock. He felt like that, like Stafford in the offense... Could not get the play. The play was set. 
The play was set and ready to go. We're at one second on the play clock, but his goofy self decides, oh, we got to take a timeout. And kill more clock. Kill more clock. Give Arizona the chance to win the ball game. He's a stupid idiot. On a third and one, if it's a third and one, and it was a perfect play, they were reading the run. Stafford had Galladay to the right, and it was going to be a first down and more. But his goofy guru decides to take a timeout. What a stupid idiot! And I blame Patricia because the guru told him to take the timeout, and Patricia's idiot self decides to take the timeout! We could have got out of the desert with a win! But instead, we. Go again on third and run. Run a run play right up the gut. We lose three yards. We have to turn over on downs. And Arizona capitalizes with a touchdown. To tie the ball game. To tie the ball game. The chance of a lifetime to win the damn game. We have not won a season opener in four years. We lost last year on Monday night to the Jets. And we lost. Now you can say, well, you kicked the field goal in overtime. Both teams kicked. It was 27. You ended the tie. It's the same as kissing your cousin. It's absolutely the same as kissing your cousin. Nobody wants to do that. You either go for the win or you... There's tons of bright spots. And I also have to make mention of this. Danny Amendola is one of the veterans receivers on this team. But he looked like a damn rookie. For his stupid mistake that he made in overtime. The Lions had the ball. At their 34-yard line. Amendola gets the pass for Stafford with 45 seconds to go. The simple thing is he gets the first down. He gets positive yards. But he stayed in bounds. A veteran would know when to run out of bounds. He got the first down and he failed. 
and he is supposed to be your top wide receiver. This is, I told you at the beginning of the season, I'm staying with it, especially now. This is the LOL Lions. Any way that they can give up this game, they will. They will. They absolutely will. And it doesn't get any easier now. It really doesn't. I am beyond frustrated on this game. Beyond. Stafford look like he should be. In a, in some aspects. He has precision passing and he's key, but he just he did not look good. In my opinion, it fa- he failed in his opener because he never took any snaps. One series, one or two series in the preseason doesn't cut it anymore. You have to play in the preseason. So you're ready to go for the start of this season. Stafford looked terrible in some aspects of his game. Now, his pinpoint passing was still good. Got to give him credit for that. To get the kid, to get Hickerson, you know, it's great. Hickerson, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, great passes. But again, I say it, preseason it, it has changed since I've been watching the games because you had the prima donnas don't wanting to play preseason football. But this, that this proves it, that the Lions needed him on the field during preseason. 27 for 45, 385 yards. Now, I give him credit for that. It could be more. Could be more. But still, still, three touchdowns, no interception for Matthew Stafford. Johnson was the leading ball carrier for the Lions. 16 carries for 49 yards. But here's the wide receiving core. Hawkinson, this rookie, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Six receptions for 131 yards. He has one TD. Amendola, seven catches, 104 yards, one TD in the game. Kenny Galladay, four catches for 42 yards. And this was Kyler Murray's first game in the NFL. His first game in the NFL. And he did a pretty good job. But he was frustrated with, with this coach. And he was frustrated with the offensive coordinator. Murray, 29 for 54, 306 yards, two TDs, one interception in the game. John uh, Johnson, the ball carrier for Arizona, 18 carries, 82 yards. Larry Fitzgerald, go-to target. Eight, carry, eight catches, 113 yards, the one TD that gives them the tie. Johnson, six catches, 55 yards, one TD in the game. The overall breakdown looks like this. 
The Lions, 23 first downs to Arizona's 21. On third down, the Lions were 6 for 18, Arizona 9 for 22. The Lions had 477 yards of total offense. The, the Cardinals, 387. Through the air, the Lions had 361 yards, Arizona 275. On the ground, the Lions had 116 yards on the ground. The Cardinals, 112. Penalties killed the Lions. Again, nine penalties for 59 yards. Arizona, seven penalties for 35 yards. The Lions turned over the football twice on fumbles. Arizona, one time with the interception by Kyle Murray. The Lions led in total possession, 39 minutes and 23 seconds. Arizona, 30 minutes and 37 seconds. So now the Lions will now head home after this 27-27 to tie. And again, I say it, I say it again. This is the same LOL Lions team that we are facing yet again, Lion fans. And it doesn't get any easier because we're playing, we're playing Los Angeles this week. The Chargers, the home opener. And by the way, on Sunday Night Football. Doesn't get any easier. The same LOL Lions team. But the same Lions team can't be said for the team that's on the other side of the lake in Lake Erie. And that is the Cleveland Browns. Now, going into this game, a lot of us in the media, including my, not including myself, were thinking that, you know, we're going to give the Lions, we're going to give the Browns uh, we're going to give them the uh, the AFC North Championship right off the bat, blah, 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 blah. You know, including myself, I have, I've, I'm one of those that's on the bandwagon that, you know, the, the Browns are, you know, the pieces are there. And it kind of was there in bright spots. And I will say this. I will say this. The opening drive, I watched the game. The opening drive was absolutely spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Going down the field, being up 6-0, missing the extra point, which is a surprise. Tennessee responding with a field goal. And then after that, Tennessee just took over the game, in my opinion. Three field goals in, uh, in the second quarter. And they were up twelve to six at halftime. And a lot of us in the Brown, a lot of the Browns fans were thinking, you know, it's, you know, we could make it back. And they and they did score a touchdown in the in in the second half, but then twenty one unanswered in the fourth quarter. Mariota just torched the the Browns secondary. Fourteen for twenty four, two hundred and forty eight yards, three TDs in the game. Derrick Henry nineteen carries for eighty four yards, one TD in the game. Mariota ran the ball three times for twenty four yards. A.J. Brown, three catches for 100 yards. Henry, one catch, 75 yards, and that was a touchdown. Smith, one catch, seven yards. Darius Walker, five catches, 55 yards, two DDs in the game. As the Titans, and I know a friend of mine who was a big Titans fan, that was very, very excited to see the Titans beat the, the Browns. Tighten up and beat the Browns 43-13. Now, there are some bright spots out of this. And, you know, 
it's a sixteen game it's a sixteen game season. Browns fans. Sixteen game Browns season. Sixteen games. You can't win them all. We're not gonna be the Dolphins. Okay? But Mayfield did look pretty good. 25 for 38 for 285 yards altogether. Okay, that you look at that and you're like, oh wow, that's fantastic. He had a great game. Yeah, but he picked through the he threw three picks in the fourth quarter alone. Three interceptions and one TD in the game. And Nick Chubb, again, I say it, I say it, this kid is a breakout star. I hope that the Browns keep him and honestly don't use Kareem Hunt as much. 17 carries for 75 yards, no TDs in the game. Hillard had four, one catch, one carry, four yards, the TD in the game. The one TD for the one of the two TDs for the game for the the Browns. Uh, Odell Beckham seven catches, seventy one yards. His longest longest completion was a twenty four yard. Jarvis Landry four catches, 47, 67 yards. His longest was a cool thirty four yards. Uh, Higgins two catches, forty six yards. David Njoku, four catches, 37 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, the team stats look like this. The Titans had 21 first downs. The Browns had 19. On third down, the Titans were 2 for 10. The Browns 1 for 10. The Browns 0 for 2 on fourth down in the game. Total yards, the Browns had 346 yards of total offense to the Titans, 339 of those 346 yards for the Browns, 244 through the air and 102 on the ground. For the Titans, it was 216 through the air, 123 on the ground. Penalties killed the Browns. And I, I hate to say that, 18 penalties for 82 yards. Freddie Kitchens has got to get his team cleaned up on that aspect of, of the game. The Titans, six penalties for 54 yards, three turnovers in the game for the Browns, no turnovers for Tennessee. The Browns led in the possession at 30 minutes and 42 seconds, Tennessee 29 minutes and 18 seconds. So the Browns now will play this upcoming Monday night in MetLife Stadium to take on the J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets. That'll be an interesting game, Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield. Who is who would be the better first round who would be a better first round pick? We'll have to find out. As you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you listen, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the program. Let's break down the rest of the NFL that happened over the weekend on Sunday. Baltimore putting a shellacking on Miami, 59-10. It was Taron Brand's Minnesota Vikings schooling it up over Matt Ryan in the Atlanta Falcons, 28-12. Buffalo, a 17-16 win over the Jets. Philadelphia gets a 32-27 win over Washington. They struggled early in the game, but then they found their stride in the second half. The Rams beating up on Cam Newton in the Carolina Panthers, 30-27. Patrick Mahomes, a great game for him. He was absolutely solid, beating up on the Jacksonville Jaguars 40-26 to in the game. Mahomes 25 for 33, 378 yards, three TDs in the game. And Nick Foles is done for the season, folks. Nick Foles done for the season. 
broken collarbone, done for. In overtime, the Indianapolis Colts lose to the L.A. Chargers 30-24. Cincinnati bungles their way and loses to the Seattle Seahawks 21-20. In Big D, Ezekiel Elliott, a good game for him coming back. He he had a couple good touches. Uh, 13 carries for 53 yards, one TD in the game. He beats Saquon Bartley, who had 11 carries for 120 yards. Eli, 30 for 44, 306, one TD in the game. But Dak Prescott, 25 for 32, 405, four TDs in the game as Dallas cruises to a 35-17 win over the G-Men. San Francisco gets a 31-17 win over Tampa Bay. The Sunday night game saw New England beating up on Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is atrocious, my friends. And you think that Pittsburgh is going to win the division. Roethlisberger, 27 for 47, 278 yards, one interception in the game. Connor, 10 carries for 21 yards. Juju Smith's, uh, Juju, six receptions for 78 yards in the game as the Patriots spanked the Steelers 33-3. The doubleheader on Monday night saw New Orleans and Houston, and that was a really good game. Back and forth it went. And New Orleans, with a game-winning field goal, a 60-yard field goal, gives the Saints the win 30-28 to over the Houston Texans. And in the nightcap, it showed that Antonio Brown was really not needed for the Raiders as the Raiders beat the Broncos 24-16. to So that's week one of the NFL. We get to week two. We have one game that's going to be taking place. On Thursday, the Thursday night game sees Tampa Bay traveling into Carolina to take on the Panthers. The prediction from yours truly, I think Carolina will get back onto the winning page and Carolina will win this game over Tampa Bay. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you so much for tuning into the program. And now let's dive into the massacre in Manhattan. So I don't really want to talk about this game too much because it was absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. From Point A to point B, this game was absolutely dominated by Kansas State. Bowling Green didn't even look like they got off the bus for this game. And I'm for shame by this. You know, the defense looked very, very good in the first quarter, but then they just got walked over. Absolutely walked over in this game. Absolutely. And they had one guy, Kansas State, almost had 100 yards by himself. Atrocious. So, recapping it. Game number two for the Brown and Orange. Saw them head into Manhattan, Kansas, to battle Kent State and the Wildcats of Kent State. And it was all Kent State in this game. From start to finish, the the Falcons never got off the bus, in my opinion. Never got off the bus. 
and it was just it was just horrible absolutely horrible that's the falcons lost 52 to nothing there is no bright spots in this game I can't say there's no... I, I, I can't. I absolutely cannot say that there's any bright spots to this game. This was... You have to chalk it up as a loss and move on. That's what we have to do. We have to chalk it up as a loss and move on. I'm not going to... I'm not going to criticize Leffler. I'm not criticizing his play calling. I'm not criticizing any of the kids. We got beat by a better team in this game. We did. We absolutely did. And to the fact that I considered, I was out, I watched this game, and this game was on national television. You can watch this any time, any absolute time. On Fox Sports Net. Any of the networks. Whether it be Fox Sports Ohio, Fox Sports Detroit, Fox Sports Time Ohio. This game was on all the platform networks. And we looked absolutely atrocious. Darius Wade. Eight completions out of 19 attempts. 79 yards. 79 yards. It's it's gonna get worse. Grant Lloyd three for five, no yards, zero yards. So as a team, they were eleven for twenty-four. My question is, why wasn't Andrew Clare in this game? We, you'll hear the Leffler com, uh, press conference here, but nobody asked the question. He was dressed. He was ready to go in this game. Why wasn't he starting? You're on the national page doing this game. Give the kid a chance. Scott, give the kid a chance. Davon Jones, eight carries for 47 yards. Bryson Daly, three catches, 23 yards in the game. Quentin Morris had one catch, 16 yards. The, the offense couldn't get anything going. On the opposite side of the things, Skylar Thompson, 10 for 13, 151 yards, two TDs in the game. John McComb, 1 for 3, 9 yards in the game. Throwing. They, they, they brought out the house. James Gilbert, 8 carries for 103 yards. Jakarta Wright, 14 carries for 59 yards. Here's the receiving. Malik Combs, 5 catches, 99 yards, 2 TDs in the game. Sebastian Taylor, 4 catches, 21 yards. Wakee Gill, 1 catch, 22 yards. Here's the team stats for you. The Falcons had 5. You can count it on one hand. Five first downs in this game. Kansas State had 25. On third down, 0 for 11. 
0 for 11. Kansas State 9 for 16. On fourth down, the Falcons were 0 for 2. Kansas State was a perfect 2 for 2. Total yards wise. Total yards wise. You ready for this? The Falcons only provided 140 yards. Kansas State had 521 total yards in the game. In the game, folks. Sixty-one of it was on the ground for Bowling Green. 79th of the year. 188 through the air for Kansas State. And you want to tell you how bad our defensive line is and our defensive run line is? They gave up 333 yards of rushing offense. Penalties killed Bowling Green. Six penalties for 50 yards. Kansas State, four penalties for 35 yards. Both teams had a turnover of the game, but Kansas State totally dominated the time of possession. 42 minutes and 52 seconds to the, to the Brown and Oranges. 17 minutes and 8 seconds. This was not good from start to finish, folks. This game was absolutely atrocious. And to me, there's no bright spots in this game. We'll chalk it as a loss, and we move on to homecoming weekend. And that's what it is. Homecoming weekend for Bowling Green. It is good to have homecoming back. And we're playing a really good team. Don't, give, don't sleep on Louisiana Tech. They're a very, very good team. Absolutely good team. So we'll see what happens. As always, every Monday, Scott Leffler meets with the media. And uh, we get the audio from that. So we, what you're going to hear is the Scott Leffler interview, uh, Scott Leffler press conference when he met with the media. Um, the... We're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the comments he made after you hear the Monday the Monday press conference with regarding uh, the quarterback Andrew McDonald won the starting position. Uh, we found out Friday from the from the NCAA that he does not he will not be eligible to play with Bowling Green this season. Uh, he's not eligible at all. Um, he won the starting position at the start of camp. Um, but Bowling Green, but Bowling Green loses him in the, in the waiver wires and the, um, transfer waiver wires. And this is the stupid thing. And we'll get to Andy Rance here about that in just a little bit, but you'll hear Scott Leffler's comments about that. And we also will play his comments from post game on Saturday when he was asked about McDonald and, uh, you'll hear that and it will be, and so much more. So, uh, Courtesy of the Bowling Green Athletic Department, here is the Monday press conference for Scott Leffler to preview not only Louisiana Tech for homecoming weekend, but to recap Kansas State as well. The comments uh, directly after the game, uh, I thought we were uh, outplayed in all three phases. The most disappointing thing is uh, on week one, we played complimentary football. And uh, week two, we did not. Offensively, uh, we did not help the defense. Uh, we were horrific on third down. 
Uh, we left uh, a lot of yardage on the field. I think we left over 230 yards of passing on the field, which then would have kept drives alive, which we would have been able to run the ball and keep our defense off the field. We turned the ball over on special teams, which uh, you can't do. I thought our punting game was exceptional. I thought our punter, I thought Matt did a great job of punting. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, we were disappointed in uh, all three phases of our game. And uh, we look forward to getting back to this week and start our improvement and uh, get on the right track. Through your preparation on how you guys prepare after a week like that, what can you learn about football? Well, what we learned last week is, uh, which I think is to answer your question, uh, our preparation early in the week was nothing like it was in week one. We were uh, lackadaisical, our intensity was nothing like week one. And uh, we learned, you know, in this game, you get exactly what you deserve. We tried to rebound, and I thought we practiced better on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, but uh, it was too late. Our, our Monday and Tuesday preparation was uh, not to the standards and expectations that we want. Who do you look to on the Well, it's got to be everybody, and um, um, it's players, it's coaches. You know, you never point a finger at anyone, anyone uh, individually. But uh, looking at it, uh, I think we we did not do a good job on Monday and Tuesday with the intensity and the uh, every play matters and every practice rep matters. And when you're playing a opponent that's better than you, you got to be on point. And uh, it was a direct re reflection of what occurred during the game. We weren't on point on Monday and Tuesday, so. You're not going to be on point on Saturday. Still talking about three coach about dealing with adversity. Uh, are you talking now about maybe this team learning to deal with success as well? You think that was a handover? No, I don't. Uh, it's uh, understanding that uh, every day is important. I don't think there was a hangover whatsoever. It's just uh, them understanding the, the the standards and expectations and how things has to occur on a daily basis. Uh, we taught them, you know, and, and unfortunately, we had a uh, a defeat, a a defeat where we were uh, beaten every th all three phases, and we got to understand uh, that uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday really are really dictate what occurs on Saturday. Do you have an update on Andrew's leg? No, not yet. Um, and I know you talked about this the other day, but obviously most of us weren't there. Um, the, the Matt McDonald situation. What is your biggest frustration right now with the NCAA and how that whole thing was handled? Yeah, like I said, uh, there was there's two really big pieces that I took from this. This is the first time that I've ever ex experienced this. And number one uh, was the amount of time, energy from our administration, Matt's family, Matt, uh, the other schools' uh, administration, even the NCAA. The amount of time that this took and the amount of work that it took to, to get a kid a waiver uh, was mind-boggling. And uh, so there has to be a better way. And then number two, what I found with it is that the, uh, the consistencies across the board, there is no consistency right now. And just like I said, they're very, very smart people. They're good people at the NCAA, uh, but it needs to get fixed uh, because of the inconsistencies and the amount of time that it needs to take to try to get a kid eligible is, uh, it's not right right now. I know Jim Harbaugh said that he would like a, a one-time transfer rule or something. What would you be in favor of? You know, I, after going through this experience, I, I, I would be all in favor for, um, 
a transfer and then having the ability, you, you'd sit out a year, but you have the ability to gain your year back through uh, graduation. And so that you're never gonna lose a year of football. But uh, it would be an interesting situation. Again, I'm not the person to ask that if it would be a one-time uh, freebie, I, I think it would totally change the dynamics of college football. But I'm probably not the right person to ask you know, on that topic. But in my gut, what I would love to have is a uh, one-time transfer and then having the ability to sit out one year, but you're going to get that year back on the back end. I think that's fair. Well, he wasn't happy. You know, he, uh, there was a lot of circumstances uh, uh, of why he came here, and uh, it was uh, disappointing for him. And like I said, uh, the, the disappointing thing for him is that uh, he won the job during training camp. It was, uh, it was a clear-cut deal. Uh, but again, that just gives us a great opportunity for Darius and for Grant to, uh, to take this and run with it, and I know they will. Does that change the way you prepare moving forward? I think you mentioned before you were just prepared dealing with the guys you have on, on the roster right now. Nothing's changed as far as moving forward, now that that decision's been made. And no, nothing's changed. Uh, depth has changed, though. There's, there's ability to use Grant whenever you have depth. But now that uh, you're in a situation where you have two quarterbacks, uh, you lose one with a guy running the football, now you're down to one. So that's a very, very scary situation. When you have three, it's still scary. You, you want to have four or five on scholarship. Uh, but we're not in that situation right now, so it is what it is. Will some of those younger quarterbacks, some of those freshmen, will they dress on game days throughout the year now? Are walk-on quarterbacks? Yeah. Yes. Yes. In the, the film from Saturday, is that film, can a game like that, no, we don't set anything aside. Um, uh, winning's not fun, and uh, you know you got a you know, awful taste in your mouth after you you play the way that we played. And um, so we came in here, we evaluated the tape very similar to what we did in week one. Uh, we picked out the positives, the negatives, and uh, we need to improve and improve fast. You know what, uh, I know both coordinators, I know the head coach, I think they're very well coached. I think uh, uh, they've got a system, uh, they play hard on defense, uh, and uh, they have the ability to score points. They've got very good skilled athletes. So you just heard Scott Leffler's comments on on the loss to, Can to Kansas State, and you also heard him talking about the, the Matt McDonald, and I said Andrew McDonald, I do apologize, it's Matthew McDonald um, not getting the transfer over. And um, we also are going to play for you right now the comments that he made Saturday after the game, after finding out that Matt could not make it into the team. And you'll hear his full explanation. This is a courtesy of uh, from Twitter. This is from the head beat writer for The Blade, uh, Nick Palampas, uh, if I'm saying his name right. Um Polowski, I believe, if that's what his last name is, uh, you'll hear his. You'll hear him ask the questions to Scott Leffler after their loss to Kansas State, fifty-two to nothing. This is their post. This is from the post-game conf press conference. You'll hear his reaction. And um, if I I've butchered his name, I do apologize. 
But uh, you're you're gonna hear a Scott Leffler that you'd be surprised with here. So just give us yeah, so right now, courtesy of Twitter, uh, the post game comments that uh, Scott Leffler made, finding out after the game that Matt McDonald was not going to be playing in the Brown and Orange this season. But I look at this thing is, and I would have said this if he would have been eligible or not. One way or the other, I was going to say what I believe is, uh, first off, going through this process, first time that I've been through this process, and uh, uh, the time and energy on the kids' end, the parents' end, the administration's end, my end, and on what's on what was on the NCAA's plate. I mean, the amount of time that this thing took, it took months, and I'm talking hours and hours that were taken out of your day, uh, there's got to be a better way. And regardless if he would have been uh, deemed eligible or not. And then the second thing that I learned through it is that uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies right now. Um, tremendous inconsistencies. Um, the matter said that there was a time whenever they were letting everyone uh, get a waiver. Then there was time they, they scaled it back and they said, well, we're going to set new rules and new guidelines. And uh, so the consistency uh, is not there. But... Uh, they're smart people in the NCAA. They're gonna, they'll get that uh, issue right, and I know they will. We all know it's a problem. They know it's a problem. Our administration, the administrations across the country know it's a problem. The players know it's a problem. The coaches know it's a problem. They know it's a problem. They're smart people. They're good people, and they're going to get it right. There seems to just be confusion as to what the standard is anymore. After going through the process, do you have any more idea? I don't. I don't. Were you disappointed with the ruling? I was, but uh, you know, that it is what it is, you know, and uh, um, we'll uh, we'll move on. Um, it's a great opportunity for Darius and uh, Grant to improve on. Um, the disappointing thing for the kid is the kid won the job. You know, he won the job in the training camp. There was no question about that he won the job, but. Uh, that is over now. It's just like anything else. Uh, we got to play the next play. We're going to move on and um, keep chugging along, keep trying to improve here. So you just heard uh, Scott Leffler's comments after the game. And, uh, you know, I, I looking at how the kid was and how he was set up to be, he deserved the job. I, I got to give him credit for that. And uh, Darius Wade is, is really stepping up into his role. Uh, you have to not look past Darius Wade and Grant Lloyd. These guys are stepping up to the plate after the whole situation with Matt. Um, and it's Darius's team now. It really is. And, you know, he did struggle against Kansas State. Some bright spots the week before, though, against Morgan State. But that was a Division II college team. We'll see how he performs now, uh, finding out all this information about Matt and We'll see what the student reaction to that is and what the the fan reaction to that is uh, in depth a little bit more in the coming episodes right here on All Andy Alfred and the, throughout the season. And um, we'll see what happens. But we have to – we lost fundamental – what Leffler said, we lost all three aspects of the point. We lost complimentary football. We were on an island between – for uh, all three phases of the game. Special teams, offense, and defense, they were not clicking together. And I agree with every statement that he said about that. Um, but it it's going to be interesting to see how this team shakes out now. 
for the rest of the season after now getting your first loss of the year. Can they bounce back from that? And they've got a tough test in front of them with Louisiana Tech. And Louisiana Tech is not a pushover. They're in the Conference USA. And uh, it is a familiar last name, folks, to this to this Louisiana Tech team that you'll be noticing about. Ever heard of a guy named Lou Holtz? His son, Skip Holtz, is the head coach for Louisiana Tech out of Conference USA. This is his seventh year as at head coaching for Louisiana Tech. History on the sidelines right there. Uh, Lou Holtz's son, Skip, on the field. And with he is his seventh year with Louisiana Tech. His record overall 47 and 34. In his career as a head coach, he is 135 and 105. He's this is his 20th season on the field running the offense and defense for them. Um, looking at some of their stats and their top players, uh in the receiving core, it's uh, Griffin Herbert. He had eight catches for 118 yards so far this season with two TDs. He's averaging about 59 yards per game, and he's averaging 14 yards per catch. Uh, their leading goal, their leading uh, quarterback is J.R. Jamar Smith. He's five, 51 for 76 for 555 yards. His QBR rating is a 67.1%. Three touchdowns, one interception so far this season. Uh, Israel Tucker is their leading rusher. He has 22 carries for 83 yards. He hasn't had a touchdown yet this season, but he has 41 yards per game in the play. Uh, on the defensive side, Colin Smith is what uh, Bowling Green has to worry about. He has 10 tackles, 8 for loss, and 18 hurries. He's averaging a half a sack a game. Um, looking at some of the number notes for Bowling Green, of course, uh, 14 is the number of Bowling Green tight ends have caught 14 of the th- team's 30 receptions this season in 2019. 72 is Matt Nijoko's tie career long with a 72-yard punt at Kansas State University. He averages 44 a game. Uh, six is the rank national ranking for Bowling Green in allowing pass yards allowed at just 106 yards per game. That was BG's also well, BG was also 6 a year ago. And uh Bowling Green is 2 has allowed number 2 has allowed just two quarterbacks sacks in 2019, third in the MAC. So looking at some of the other stats as well going into tomorrow into this weekend's game uh like I said, Andrew Clare, no timetable on yet on how he's gonna if he's gonna be playing. Uh, like I said, Matt Niarco punted nine times against Kansas State, averaging 44 yards a punt, and tried his career-long 72-yarder this past weekend. Uh, looking at it, it's Darius Wade. It's the Wade Show, of course. Um. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, looking at a little bit more of the stats here. Here we go, right here. Uh, the average points per game for Bowling Green is 23 points per game. Uh, Louisiana Tech has 17 points. On first down, uh, 
the Brown and Orange has 21 averages, about 21 first downs a game to Louisiana Tech's 22 and a half. On the passing got side, Bowling Green has a average about 193 yards of passing to Louisiana Tech's 121. On the ground, 280 yards for Louisiana Tech to Bowling Green's 186. So that's a 401.5 for Louisiana Tech and 380 total yards of offense for for Bowling Green. Uh, they've led in their time of possession this year. Uh, penalty yardage, they've uh, have more penalty yards than Louisiana Tech at 60 to 39. Um, the turnover margins a negative one for Louisiana Tech, a zero for uh, for Bowling Green. And uh, rushing yards allowed, uh, Bowling Green has allowed 189.5 yards. Louisiana Tech has allowed 184.5 passing yards. Louisiana Tech has left 270 yards total passing to Ohio, uh, Bowling Green's 106. So I w- if I was seeing some of these stats, I would assume that you would probably want to go to the air more. But, uh, of course, like I mentioned before, Bowling Green this weekend is homecoming weekend as BG takes on Louisiana Tech. It is a 5 o'clock kickoff. Homecoming proceeding starting on Friday with the parade, of course. Uh, the 5K will be Saturday morning, and then we get to the game Saturday night at Doit L. Perry Stadium. As you're listening to all Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, however you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the podcast. And now let's dive a little bit more into college football and the Battle of Ohio between Ohio State and Cincinnati. So looking at some of the other games, and we'll start with, the, of course, the top 25 as well that took place over the weekend here in week two of the college football season. Of course, Clemson battling it out on Saturday afternoon against 12th-ranked Texas A&M. It was a good game. It really was. It really was a good game. Both teams hammering each other. Back and forth. And, of course, Clemson coming away with a 24-10 victory over Texas A&M. The second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide easily dispatching New Mexico State 62-10. Georgia winner 63-17 over Murray State. Fourth-ranked in the country was Oklahoma. They shellacked South, South Dakota. Not South Dakota, but uh, they shellacked their opponent 70-14. to Then we get to fifth-ranked Ohio State, and it was just a blowout for Ohio State. Uh, Luke Fickle and his team were no match to Justin Fields and Ryan Day and the offense of Ohio State as they put up 42 points and burying the Bearcats in that aspect. Fields 20 for 25, 224 yards, two TDs in the game. Ritter for Cincinnati was 13 for 20, 166 yards. He threw an interception in the game. J.K. Dobbins, 17 carries for 141 yards, two TDs in the game. Thomas for Cincinnati, 11 carries for 58 yards. Uh, The leading passer for Ohio State was Victor. He had five catches for a total of 69 yards. K.J. Hill, eight catches for 57 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Wilson, one catch, nine yards, one TD in the game. Um, yeah, uh, 
Fields, like again, 20 for 25, 224, two TDs in the game. Ritter, 13 for 20, 166, one interception in the game. Like I said, Thomas, 11 carries, 58 yards. Pierce, four catches, 93 yards. Uh, Thomas, one catch, six yards. Gildas, one catch, 13 yards. Was pretty much dominated by Ohio State in this game. Uh, Cincinnati had 13 first downs to Ohio State's 31 on third down. Ohio State was 7 for 11. Cincinnati 3 for 14. Ohio State had 508 yards of total offense to Cincinnati's 273. In passing, Ohio State had 238 to Cincinnati's 166. On the ground, Ohio State had 270 yards of total rush to Cincinnati's 107. Penalties killed the Bobcats at 10 penalties for 78 yards. A clean game for Ohio State, two penalties for 25 yards. And they turned over the football twice. Cincinnati did one fumble and one interception. Ohio State led in the possession ranking at 31 minutes and 21 seconds. Cincinnati, 28 minutes and 39 seconds. So Ohio State cruising to a 42 to nothing victory in that game. Uh, Six-ranked LSU Goes into Texas on the big stage and beats ninth-ranked uh, Texas, the Longhorns, 45-38. to Great game on that aspect. We then get to number seven, and that's Michigan. And I'm a Michigan fan. I'd be extremely, 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 extremely worried. This team does not look good. They struggled. The Army should have won this football game. Clearly, clearly, clearly. They led the whole entire time. And it took double overtime for Michigan to beat the Army. 24-21. to Shane Patterson in the game for Michigan. 19 for 29, 270 yards. That's not going to complete it. Charbonnet, 33 carries for 100 yards, three TDs in the game. Bell, seven carries, seven catches for 81 yards for Michigan. McComb, two catches, 35 yards in the game. Collins, two catches, 32 yards in the game. For the Army, uh, Hopkins Jr., two for four. And Army's a running game, 43 yards, one interception in the game. Uh, Slocum, 29 carries for 92 yards. Hopkins Jr., 18 carries, 41 yards. Two TDs in the game. Hobbs, the fourth, two catches, 43 yards in total. The stats look like this. Michigan had 23 first downs. Army had 15. On third down, Michigan was 9 for 16. The Army, 5 for 16. They were a perfect 3-for-3 on 4th down. Michigan 1-for-3. Total yards, Michigan had 340 yards of total offense. The Army 243. 232 through the air for Michigan. 43 yards for the Army. And like I said, the Army is more of a running running team. On the ground, they had over 200 yards of rushing to Michigan's 108. Penalties didn't hurt the Army at 8 penalties for 78 yards. Michigan had 9 penalties for 58 yards. Both teams turned over the ball 3 times. Two fumbles, one interception for the Army. Three fumbles for Michigan. The Army led it in possession 31 minutes and 35 seconds to Michigan's 28-25. So looking at that, if I'm Michigan, I'm struggling. I'm worried. I'm absolutely worried. Absolutely worried. And I should be. Should be worried. 
Uh, eighth ranked in the country at the bye. Ninth ranked in the country was Texas, of course, like I mentioned. And 10 was Auburn. T- Auburn 24-6 win over Tulane. Looking at the rest of the top 25 scores, Boise State was a winner 14-7 over Marshall. You had Rutgers beating, losing to Iowa 30 to nothing. Here's the upset, though. Maryland pulls the upset, shellacks Dino Babers and the Syracuse Orange by a score of 63 to 20. That says a lot right there. Utah winner 35 to 17 over NIU. Wisconsin shellacks Central Michigan 61 to nothing. It was Washington State a 59-17 win over UNCO. UCF, a 48-14 win over FAU. You also had Florida beating up on UTM, 45-0. Penn State, a 45-13 win over Buffalo. Oregon, a 77-6 win over Nevada. Nevada's not for real. Uh, Michigan State, a winner, 51-17 over Western Michigan. Cal was a winner, 20-19 over Washington. And USC, a 45-20 win over the Stanford Cardinals. So what does that... uh, the top 25, we'll get to that in just a second in the new top 25 poll. In the Big Ten, the other games that took place that were not top 25 looked like this. Of course, Vanderbilt loses to Purdue 42-24. to Nebraska loses in overtime to Colorado 34-31. to Illinois, a winner 31-23 to over UConn. Indiana, a 52-0 win over EAU. Uh, and Minnesota, in double overtime, beats Fresno State 38 38- to 35 in the Mid-American Conference. Other games in the Mid-American Conference besides the teams that played in the against the top 25 opponents. Like I mentioned before, it was Eastern Michigan playing Kentucky and Eastern Michigan falling to Kentucky in that in their game 38 to 17. You also had Miami Ohio winning against Tennessee Tech. 48 to 17. Fordham loses to Ball State 57 to 29. Kent State routes in overtime 26 to 23. UAB beats Akron 31 to 20 and the Pitt Panthers beat the Ohio Bobcats 20 to 10. So the top 25 looks like this in college football right now. Still holding strong at the number one position right now is the Clemson Tigers. Two th- second ranked is the Alabama Crimson Tide still at number two. Third ranked in the country still is the Georgia Bulldogs. Fourth rank is now LSU. Jumps over that. Fifth rank is Oklahoma. Ohio State drops to six. Notre Dame falls to seven. Auburn is now eight. Florida is nine. Michigan falls to ten. Utah is now 11. Texas, with their loss to LSU, now drops to 12. Penn State is now 13. Wisconsin is now 14th in the country. Uh, Oregon, 15th ranked. Texas A&M, with their loss to Clemson, is now 16th in the country. UCF is 17th ranked. Michigan State goes to 18. Iowa, 19. Washington State, 20. Maryland now jumps into the top 25 at 21. Boise State now is at 22. They were up two spots. Washington falls nine positions to 23. USC is now 24th ranked. And the Virginia Mount uh, Volunteers, not Virginia Volunteers, Cavaliers, my apologies, are now ranked 25th 
in the country, according to the Associated Press. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts Now, however you listen, wherever and whenever you listen to the podcast, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's hit the diamond. The Indians continuing their winning ways and the Tigers pulling off an upset. So let's talk a little baseball for you as we head down the home stretch for the final few weeks of the Major League Baseball season. Of course, the Tigers are not in the postseason run, but they did make a surprise last night at Comerica Park. We'll get to that here in just a second, but let's recap the weekend that was for them. And on Friday, they played the doubleheader to make up the suspended game from... uh, They played a four-games in Oakland, and three of them were as the road team, but the one game was a suspended game from earlier in the season as they lost to the Athletics by a score of 6-3. to three. Fires the win. He goes to 4-3 and three with a 5.05 ERA. Wrangler the loss. He goes to 0-1 with a 10.22 ERA. Pena homered his sixth of the season, and officially, so the game's official now. Castellanos got his home run, counted his fourth of the season. 110 days later, the A's get the road win in Oakland. So that tells you right there. Uh, so the nightcap saw the Tigers as the road team taking on the Oakland Athletics, and the Tigers did fall to the A's by a score of 10 to 2. Bassett, the win, he goes 10 and 5 with a 3.64 ERA. Zimmerman, the loss, he goes to 1 and 10 with a 6.27 ERA. Oakland had homers from Chapman, his 32nd, Olsen, his 29th, and Polfar, his 20th of the season. We get to then, we get then to Saturday's game. Uh, excuse me, that was Saturday's game. Friday night's game, the Tigers did win that game by a score of five to four. My apologies, as it was Christian Stewart hitting his eighth home run of the season to help the Tigers cruise to a five-four victory. Schwarber, the winning, goes to one and zero with a nine-point-six-four ERA. Blackburn, the loss, he goes to zero and two with a thirteen-point-five-zero ERA. Jimenez has to save his sixth of the season, so the Tigers splitting the doubleheader on Friday. Saturday, they lose 10-2 to the A's, and Sunday, they cannot keep the series as they lose 2-3 to the A's, as they lose Sunday 3-1. As Daniel Norris gets the loss, he goes to 3-12 with a 4.72 ERA. Masana, the win, he goes to 1-0 with a 0.75 ERA. Hendricks to save his 19th of the season. Christian Stewart did homer in the game, but it was not enough. The Tigers fall to the Athletics. So the Tigers then had a day off on Monday. They opened up a series against the New York Yankees in Comerica Park. And after two innings of play, the Tigers were down 6 to nothing. In the third inning, the Tigers put six runs on the board to tie the game at six apiece, and it was a dogfight back and forth all night. One run for the Yankees in the fourth and fifth. One run in the fifth for the Tigers. Three in the sixth for Detroit. Then the Yankees then respond in the seventh with three runs. Then the Tigers scored another run to tie in the seventh. And in the ninth inning, it was Jordy Mercer with the walk-off single to bring in the running run. As the Tigers beat the New York Yankees at home, twelve to eleven. Jimenez the win. He goes to four and seven with a four point seven zero ERA. Adams the loss. He goes to one and one with a seven point five zero ERA. 
Gardner homering twice in the game, his 22nd and 23rd of the season. Torres is 36. Didi Degorius homering twice, his 15th of the season. And Inwin Incarnacion, the Parrot Boy, 33rd of the season. Christian Stewart continuing his home run streak as he's getting his 10th of the season as the Tigers crew get, come from behind and win in walk-off fashion 12-11. to 11. Now the Tigers are scheduled to play a game tonight. That looks like, oh, we're just getting word from MLB that that game is postponed. It will be now a traditional double header that will be played tomorrow, Thursday, the 12th of uh, September 2019. Uh, game one will start at 110. It will be Josh Boyd on the hill for Detroit. He is 8 and 10 with a 4.57 ERA. Jay Happ will start for the the Yankees, he's 12-8 and eight with a 5.10 ERA, 110 start time for that one. The concluding game in Game 2 that will take place 30 minutes afterward will be Jacob Turnbull on the hill. 3-14 and 14 with a 4.68 ERA. He'll take on CeCe Sabathia, who is 5-8 with a 4.93 ERA. Game time will start 30 minutes after the completion of Game 1. Detroit then will welcome in the Baltimore Orioles for a four-game series Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Friday night sees both teams have not yet named starters. Friday's game seven ten start time. Saturday's a six ten. Sunday's a one ten start time, and su- and Monday's game a four ten start time. Then they will head to Cleveland for a three game series. Return home for a three game series against the White Sox, and finish up the season three at home against the Twins, and then three four games against. Excuse me, three games. Yeah, four games. Excuse me, against. The White Sox. So the Tigers right now at 43 and 100. Will it get to 120 losses? I doubt it now with that win yesterday. But we'll see what happens. We got a couple double headers to make up here. So we'll see what happens with that. And speaking of another team, we'll talk about another team that's on the lake as well, too. And let's talk about the Cleveland Indians. The Indians. Coming off, when we last left, you were going into Minnesota for a big three-game series against the Twins. And Friday night, they capitalized in extra innings by winning 6-2. to Clippard, the win, he goes to 1-0 with a 2.62 ERA. Thorpe, the loss, he goes to 2-2 with a 5.30 ERA. As Mr. Smile himself, Francisco Lindor, homering in the game, his 28th of the season. A fourth four-run rally in the 11th inning for the Tribe gives them the 6-2 win. In that game on Friday night, Saturday did see the Indians fall to the Twins five to three. It was a little the win. He goes to four and zero with a three point two one ERA. Climber the loss. He goes to five and three with a four point three zero ERA. Rogers the save. His twenty fifth of the season. Garber homer twice in the game. He propels the the Twins to the win. His twenty seventh and twenty eighth home runs of the season. As the Twins beat the Indians. 5-3. to three. The concluding game on Sunday saw the Tribe getting the win by a score of 5-2. to two. Mike Clevenger coming out and getting a key win. The series win taking 2 out of 3 from target field. Clevenger, the win, he goes to 11-2 with a 2.72 ERA. Dominic, the loss, he goes to 0-1 with a 1.64 ERA. Brad Hand, the save, his 34th of the season. For the Tribe in the game, Carlos Santana, his 33rd home run of the season. And Mr. Smile himself, 29th home run of the season. Lindor, his 29th of the season. Garver homering his 29th of the year as well. But like I said, Clevenger, a great game for him. 
Uh, looking at the line for Clevenger, he went six in the third, four hits, two runs. Those were two runs were earned, two walks, seven strikeouts. He gave up the one home run. So now the now the tribe heads can, goes further out west, and they have opened up a three-game series against the L.A. Angels of Anaheim in Trout Country, and it is a big game for the big three games for the tribe in the game this series and they opened up the series on Monday night at Angel Stadium and they cruised to a 6-2 win it was Shane Beaver the win 14-7 and with a 3.17 ERA Sandoval the loss he goes to 0-3 with a 5.28 ERA Kipnis his 17th of the season Chang his first home run of the season Albert Pujols his 22nd home run of the season Walsh homering his first of the season but Beaver did toss a gem in this game his final line in his game, he pitched seven innings strong, five hits, two, one run. That run was earned from a home run, eight strikeouts in the game. Yesterday was a Facebook Live game, and the Indians shut out the Angels by a score of eight to nothing. Plesak, the win, he goes to eight and six with a 3.64 ERA. Suarez, the loss, he goes to two and six with a 6.94 ERA. Lupo, his 12th home run of the season, and Francisco Lindor has now hit his 30th home run of the season. Plesak getting his first shutout and with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Plesak in the game for him. Nine innings, a complete game. Four hits, no runs, two walks, five strikeouts in the game. And the Tribe will now open up the final game of the series. It will be Plunko on the hill for the Tribe. He is, he is with a 4.40 ERA in the game for him. For the Angels of Anaheim, starting on the bump for him will be Peters. He is ERA of 4.53. That game getting ready to start here in just a little bit. They will have an off day of travel day on Thursday before they welcome in the Minnesota Twins on a big three-game series. Friday night sees Ordozzi on the hill for the Twins. He is 14-6 with a 3.60 ERA. Saval the start for Saval will start for Cleveland, he's 3-3 three three with a 1.93 ERA, 7-10 start time for that one. Saturday's game, both teams have not yet named the starter as well as on Sunday. Oh, excuse me, Sunday, Burroughs has been announced as the starter for the Twins. He's 12-8 with a 3.63 ERA going into, sat, uh, into Sunday's play. After that, the Tribe will then welcome in the, the Tigers for three straight. Then they will head, they will continue, finish up the home season with three against Philadelphia and Bryce Harper before finishing up three on the road in in the south side against the White Sox. And then they go to the nation's capital to finish out the season three against the Nationals. So looking at all that, here is the standings going into today's play. Minnesota is 89-55 and 55 in first place in the American League Central. They tried five games out. Of the Central at 85 and 61, uh, the White Sox 64 and 80, 25 games out of first place. Kansas City 53 and 92, 36 and a half games out of first place, and Detroit is 43 and 100, 45 and a half games out of first place. Looking at the rest of the league, looks like this in the East with the Yankees lost yesterday, or they are now 95 and 51 in first place in the division. The the Rays are 87-59, eight games out of first place, nine games from being eliminated from the from the central from the uh, from the division race. The Boston Red Sox are 76 and 69, 18 and a half games out of first place, and they fired 
Dave Nombrowski. That cancer of a man, they did the right thing to get rid of him. He is a cancer when it comes to baseball. He really is. Toronto 56 and 89, 30 and a half in the games out of first place. Baltimore 46 and 98, 48 games out of first place. In the National League West, the Houston Astros are at 95 and 51 in first place. Oakland 85 and 69 and a half games out of first place. Pretty much everybody else out of that division is out of it. Texas 72 and 74, 23 games out of first place. The Angels right now are 67 and 79, 28 games out of first place. And the Mariners are 59 and 86, 35 and a half games out of first place. The senior circuit looks like this in the National League East. Atlanta is in first place at 90 and 56. The, the Nationals are 79 and 64, nine and a half games out of first place. Philadelphia is 75 and 69, 14 games out of first place. The Mets are 74 and 70, 15 games out of first place. And the Marlins are 51 and 93, 38 games. Out of first place. In the West, the first team has clinched, and it is like I predicted, the LA Dodgers at 94 and 52 in first place. They have won the National League West. In the National League Central, still a little bit of a toss-up race. St. Louis 81 and 63 in first place. The Cubs 77 and 67, four games out of first place. Milwaukee 76 and 86, 68, excuse me. Five games out of first place. The Reds are at 67 and 78, 14 and a half games out of first place. And the Brewers lose Christian Yelich for the rest of the season with a with a uh, broken kneecap. That's going to be he's done for the season. And I think the Brewers are done out of the playoff race. So on the wild card, it looks like this. If the playoffs started today, the top seed would be the. New York Yankees at 95 and 51. Houston would be the number two seed at 95 and 51 as well, but they have a better winning percentage at 60. Uh, uh, the Yankees have a winning percentage at 60.653. Houston 60.651. Uh, the Twins at 89 and 55. The wild card would looks like this: Tampa Bay holding strong, a game and a half up in the wild card race. Oakland at 85 and 60, holding strong. The Indians a half game out of a wild card spot at 85 and 61. Boston nine games out of a wild card spot at 76 and 69. Texas 72 and 74, 13 and a half games out of a wild card spot. That's the only other team that's still mathematically in it. In the National League, the Dodgers will be the number one overall seed. Atlanta two right now. If the playoffs are today, the Dodgers are the number one seed right now, in my opinion. Atlanta will be number two. St. Louis would be three. Wild card looks like this. Washington is two and a half games up in the wild card race at 79 and 64. The Cubs 77 and 67. Milwaukee a game out of a wild card spot at 76 and 68. Philadelphia 75 and 69 and surging as of late. Two games out of a wild card spot. Arizona 75 and 70. Two and a half games out of a wild card spot. The Mets are 74 and 73 games out of a wild card race so it'll be interesting to see how, going down the stretch who's going to be the team to be the surprise in major league baseball this year we'll see what happens i i think i think the indians can still get it into the playoffs and i think they will get in as a wild card team and we'll see what happens we'll absolutely see what happens as you're listening to all indl for tonight right here on the anchor network whether it be on itunes spotify google podcast pocket cast however you're listening wherever and whenever you're listening to the podcast thank you for tuning into the program and now, for the first time in a while, let's hit the ice.
So it's about that time, folks. I can't believe I'm saying this, but NHL training camps start tomorrow in the NHL here on this on this 9/11. Before, so they start on the 12th of September. Our first preseason games start on the 15th of September. Can't believe I said that. The Jackets will open up training camp starting tomorrow for for the 2019-20 campaign. Uh, the Red Wings will open up camp as well too tomorrow. As well, uh, both teams took part of the Traverse City Top Prospects tournament that was taking place in Traverse City, Michigan, along with six other teams. Of course, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Dallas Stars, and the New York Rangers all taking place. Uh, the Jackets finishing in third place in the Prospects tournament. But we got a chance to see uh, Texier a little bit better. He's put on 10 pounds of muscle, according to uh, to. Uh, Tortorella. Um, we've also heard that Elvis is getting better, and Elvis is now in the country. Uh, he, he looked pretty. I, I watched a couple of the of a couple periods of that game, game, especially the Texier game against the Rangers when he came back and scored the game winner. Um, it's good to see him back in in the Union Blue. Also, the big news, of course. Zach Wierenski signing a three-year, $15 million contract that sees him $5 million a year. Uh, I could see that being a good deal for the Jackets, and he wants to play here too. And the combination between him and Seth Jones is absolutely fantastic. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the question is how this team is going to react uh, going forward this season and uh, all the skeptics and all the haters and everything like that that believes that this team is not going to be good. I think this team... We'll have an early step back because they got to get there. But the core guys of Brandon Dubitsky and Nick Felino and Cam Atkinson are there. You have the young talent and you have the veteran leadership, of course, with, with Seth Jones. The key thing is how this young team is going to develop and how will Alexander Wenberg perform this year. Um, we don't. We, it's a sad thing to hear about Marcus Hanekinen. He's not going to be able probably to make it in because of uh, the whole country and legal situation that's going on with him it looks like he won't be able to make it with this team this year and also you have the backstory with Sonny Milano and his legal issues that are going on as well too with uh with the whole situation with him and a friend but will that backdoor I don't know we'll see what happens but uh this today on on 9-11 both John Torrella and Yarmo Kekalining met with the media uh we're going to play the Yarmo bit first you're going to hear what he has to say on the business side of the aspect and i will also then play the john tortorella bit now it's going to be a little long-winded for both guys the torch does use a couple colorful languages so there so just be advised if you're a younger listener to our podcast uh he will be saying those things going forward um so uh be prepared for that so uh here it is from this afternoon according from the from nhl.com this is the uh, media availability for for the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalini, and the head coach of the Union Blue Columbus Blue Jackets, John Tortorella. Restroom cleared to skate at the start of camp. Yep. Okay. Yes. And what were the? Yesterday. It was Foodie and Mateau that won't be clear to go. What are their situations? Uh, we're looking into the Foodie situation. Mateau had a little procedure on his knee and. Uh, He's, he's going to be ready soon, but not from the start of the camp. Okay. And any guess when Hannah Kynan might be here? <laughs> uh, 
no. Unfortunately, that's a little... Uh, how should I say it? It's a... Uh, unfortunate situation with the uh, immigration. We don't know. We don't have an answer. Patch. I'll uh, give you the same one I gave towards. Uh, how, just how important is it for you guys, especially in your tenure here, where you've come from to where you are now, to not take a back step this year? Well, we're always looking to improve. Sometimes you, you have to meet some challenges in, in the way that the um, team progresses with, with the contracts expiring and, and free agents, uh, the rights, rights of free agency uh, being in front of some players and, and uh, that's why you build through the draft and develop players and and um, you plan ahead, ahead many many years and, and uh, if you have your uh, depth chart stocked with good prospects that are ready to make an impact on your team then, then you're hoping that those guys can step in and not only make your team but make an impact on it and and that's why we didn't really go out and, and try to sign a lot of veteran players because we feel that the, uh, the prospects that we have that are ready to do that deserve a chance, deserve a, a, uh, a long look of what, where they're at and what they can do for our team now. So um, that's, why, uh, that's why we're kind of anxious to get started here and see where we're at. But uh, I always say this, that the, uh, the Traverse City term is a great indication, usually the players that... Can, can be a step above the, uh, the regular level of play and, and, and dominate there are usually very close to making the team, not only making the team, but also making an impact on the team. And, and Texier was excellent in that tournament. And there were, there were others too, but he was clearly a, a level above um, the, the regular play there. So I think he's going to have a real good chance of not only making our team, but making our team better. Jared in the back. Yarmo, on the, the, the subject of Texier, we saw him this summer when he was at development camp, obviously just coming out of Traverse City. Um, still a very young man, obviously, but you're kind of getting at this point, I think, about you think, are you forecasting for him some pretty special things? Do you see him as a the kind of scoring threat that could take you to another level? Well, we'll go one step at a time and let him let him develop here. He's a young man, just 20 years old, but um, he's clearly developed physically this summer too. He, he had a healthy summer this year, unlike the last two before, where he had some uh, health problems and and didn't really get get to put the work in uh, as you would normally hope in the off season. He comes back and he's gained about 10 pounds of muscle in in the off season and he, and he looks bigger and stronger and and we could see them on the ice too but uh, I'm not going to be projecting for points or goals here I don't do that for any of the players but but uh, he's been progressing the way for ever since we drafted him he's been taking huge steps forward um, playing in a very good league in Finland for 2 years and being one of the better players in that league last year stepping into the American League and, and being a dominant player there at the end of the year last year and then coming into the NHL and looking like he belonged right away and 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 even playing in the playoffs. So I think the natural progression for him is now to make our team and, and be a full-time member of the Blue Jackets and, and, and hopefully make an impact for us to be better. No one else? Mark here. So you talked about Liam Food. I'm curious about your thoughts on 
um, you know, they might talk about in the CBA with a 19-year-old if you can assign them to the AHL. Is that something that you'd be in favor of if they change that? Because you can either you know, make your roster or would have to be sent back to London. Well, I think it's a case-by-case -case thing. Some, there are some examples, and, and I'm not getting into any names, but players that have played three, four years already in junior and really wouldn't have much to gain as far as their development goes to play another year. I understand the, uh, the, some of the teams and wanting to put that player in the American League. But at the same time, I respect the programs that the junior teams have and, and they want their best players back as long as they have the right to do so. So um, with Liam Foody, um, if he doesn't make our team, he's going to London and that's it. And there's no reason to speculate that. Um, unfortunately, he's, he's injured right now, but uh, hopefully he'll, he'll get healthy soon and we can get him back into camp. Matt, just what is your confidence level uh, in goal this year with, with the guys that you have? Um, obviously, um, losing Bob, but you, I, I assume, feel pretty good about it. But what's your confidence level with it's this group? It's very high. I, otherwise, we would have done something about something differently. And, and um, you know, we have two very talented young goalies that haven't really gotten their opportunity to show that they can play in the NHL. Now they'll get that opportunity. Corpy, uh, like Torch said, played his best hockey when he got an opportunity to play uh, a lot of games in a row when Bobrovsky was hurt. And he put, put some very good numbers up in those those um, stretches of time there that, that he had a couple of years ago. And, and Elvis has obviously been one of the, the top goalies outside of the NHL for the last couple of years, not only the top goalie in the Swiss League, but, but also a top goalie in the World Championships, playing against the NHL players mostly in that tournament and had great success. Vehvi Lannan is uh, two years in a row in the Finnish final, best goalie in the league, won the championship. Um, so we have three, three goalies that are, uh, that are not just guys that are raw and, and rookies or, you know, Corpy's not a rookie anymore anyways, but the, the other two, they, they've been around. Elvis is 25 years old. Pevilan um, is 22. So they're, they're not 18-year-old guys trying to make it to the NHL raw and green. They're, they're guys that have been playing some great hockey against good hockey players in, in, on, on a world-class level. So we're, we're confident that, that they're up for the challenge and, and we'll see what they can do and we'll go from there. Yarmo, um, with Zach uh, getting his deal done, is there anything pressing on your to-do list at this point? Well, where there's always a to-do list that, that evolves every day, but um, and we've said it all along that we're going to give give this group a, a chance to show what, what they, they can do. We're co very, very confident in our core group, and, and I, I'm... Um, a little aggravated by the uh, the doubters, to be honest with you, because it shows disrespect to our core group that, that brought us all that success that we've had in the last three years. I think four teams have more regular season wins than we do, and and, um, and we did have 108 points before Panarin arrived here. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little upset about all that and, and getting fed up talking about it, but, um, yeah, we're going to... We're going to surprise some people with the young players that we have coming in. And, you know, Emil Bemstrom, now he's cleared to play. He had 23 goals in the Swedish League last year. And, and uh, there's two pretty good players, in, in one being the Rookie of the Year last year in, in the National Hockey League, and Kent Nielsen that scored more goals 
at that age than, you know, or as a teenager than he did. So whether he's going to be as good as those two guys, I don't know. But, but time will tell. But it's also pretty hard to be the number one goal scorer in the Swedish Elite League. So I think he's, he's up for the challenge that, that there might be a great opening here and, and great opportunity for, for a winger. Right-handed shot, place the left side. Who knows? We'll see. Marco well, Dano's coming back. With the, the open spots and the need for scoring, this would seem a prime time for Sonny Milano to establish himself. How big of a make-or-break year is this for him? And second part of that, will his legal issues interrupt his camp at any point? Uh, second part of your question, I'm not really going to be able to answer. But um, I think that, yes, this is a great opportunity for Sonny Milano as well. There, there's going to be a huge opening on the left side with, with the number nine gone, and, and I would hope that all those guys are hungry as, as hell to get that opportunity and, and take that ice time, and and also get divided by some of the other guys that are not that were there last year, that now will get a, a, another opportunity to grab some a bigger role, more ice time, power play, all that stuff that was all that ice time that was occupied by by Panarin. So, um, yeah, I, I, I expect very competitive camp. I think that we've shown all along that, um, you know, it's, it's not your status, your contract, your experience or any of that that matters. It's the, uh, it's what you do on the ice. So I would think that that, that creates a great competition for our camp. Our D group should be still one of the best in the league and, and we'll see how our, our talented young goaltenders do. Very athletic, highly competitive. Uh, talking to Manny, he's been he's been doing his work with Manny prior to coming to the city here and prior to Traverse. Uh, highly, highly competitive. Uh, so we're gonna uh, he's gonna get an opportunity during camp, and uh, we'll find out more about him then. With Corpy, uh, we obviously know Corpy better. Um, as I, I said, I think with Portsy here earlier this summer. Uh, Corpy has played better when he has played more. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we, there, there, there's nothing. Uh, I, I just, I try to stay open-minded as far as, especially that position. That's that's the uh, th- that's the big question mark, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Where do we go? Uh, we're going to keep open-minded, give him some time, and uh, uh, and and this finished goalie. Uh, just can't. I don't know how to pronounce his name right now, so I won't try. Um, I thought the game I watched him play in Traverse City played very well, also. Um, so we're going to let it play out and see where we go. Vetalinen. How do you say it? Vetalinen. Okay. <laughs> this was a little easier. Adam Jardy on the left or the center. John, how do you hope to replace the scoring production of losing a guy like Panarin? Oh, you, I mean, it's opportunity for the people. I, I thought the signing by Yarmo and the staff uh, uh, with Gus, it's a, it's a, it goes under the radar as it usually does. Uh, I think that some of the signings Yarmo has brought to us in free agency have gone under the radar, but have been very important players. He's a pretty important guy, 50-point guy. Um, Hopefully other guys uh, take more strides uh, and continue to get better as players. 
uh, Winnie. You hopefully he steps up and and finds his way. So there's a lot of different things uh, that can happen. Um, yeah. So I mean, Brett is a uh, Brett's a very good player. Was very, he's a game breaker, and and I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say uh, that that's that's a hole. But there are, it just gives other people opportunity to fill that. And I feel very comfortable where we're going about with some of our young kids that can do that. Mark, uh, third, the right. With so many youngsters that could potentially hit the lineup, um, I'm always curious about the trust. Is that something that you would kind of have to adjust knowing that they're going to make mistakes if they make your lineup? Well, each, each year that goes by... Uh, Especially for me, the last two years, this league has turned into just mistakes. It, it is a game of mistakes. And it, we used to say that uh, early on, at least I did it, uh, all coaches do. But the game, is, it is, I think you have to coach differently um, with some of the, so many kids in the lineup. And just the way the game is played right now, um, you can't get too... Uh, uh, you, you can't get too crazy about trying to correct every mistake. Uh, so I think that's how that's how we try to go about it. You almost want some mistakes to happen, and I think that's and you give them an opportunity to try to correct it. You're not always coaching it out of them. You're trying to give them an opportunity to correct themselves. M the mistake that is made all the time, every time, and that keeps on coming at you. Those are the ones get in, the, in under a coach's skin. Uh, but as far as mistakes made, we want them to try things. We want them to express themselves. Uh, and if the mistakes are made, we just try to move by it and try to learn from it. Hedge left. This organization over the last, well, seven or eight years, but especially the last three or four, has really made some strides, obviously, making you know the playoffs, second round, all that, three years in a row. I think there's some that look at this team and expect a backstep. Uh, a little bit because of what happened. How important is it for you guys to not let that happen? Yeah, I really don't give a shit about what people say uh, as far as what they think is going to happen with the team. Um, it, it almost... I don't read it, but I have everybody that I that I see tell me about what they've read. It, it's, it's put a huge chip on my shoulder before it's even started here. I usually have a chip on my shoulder about something else, about the conditioning of the team or, or this guy wasn't ready or whatever. Maybe I'm fighting with Yarmo. I don't know. It, it could be a number of things. But this one here, uh, it's, it's in place and uh, has been in place for me uh, for a number of weeks now as people talk at me. Um, yeah, so we're... Uh, we're going to go about our business the way we think we need to go about it. Uh, it almost gives you a, a really good push into that, into that mentality of just staying with one another here in the locker room and getting about it. And uh, that, that's how we're going to try to do it here. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of confidence in, in the core of this group uh, and, and the, I think the right type of arrogance that we displayed Albeit we don't get out of the second round, uh, but I thought we played some really good hockey even in that second round when we were eliminated. I just don't want us to lose that. And, uh, yeah, we, we just got to close our ears and, and just worry about ourselves and go about our business the right way. Mitch, front left. Hey, uh, John, uh, you mentioned Wenny. Who else in your mind needs to step up and play better 
to fill that scoring void? Everybody. Everybody. And, and, and listen, and I'm not going to spend, and I'm, I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'm not going to spend, after today, I'm not spending another minute talking about the players that left. Um, I will tell you I have a tremendous amount of respect for all three of them. Uh, through the craziness of our season last year, uh, how it was presented right at the beginning of camp was going to happen, and we lived through it together. They handled themselves the proper way, and they were, they're really good players. And I wish them nothing but the best. Uh, so I'm not speaking another word on them. Uh, with, with, with bread in finishing this answer, not one particular person uh, can do the things bread does. You, you do it by a group of players uh, stepping up. And uh, so in a roundabout way, uh, in answering your question, I think everybody needs to continue to improve. We have players that are young enough and that are still learning, uh, that that need to expect that out of themselves. If you know, we're 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 happy about the progress of this team. We didn't get out of the second round though last year, so we're going to have to improve. And uh, so that that that's incumbent upon everybody to have that type of mindset. Does that answer your question? Okay, Michael Backright, John, what's up, Blue Jacket? Uh, and I I'm not trying to be cheeky. It's just in the framework of. We want Blue Jackets here. We've heard from management and from coaches and from other Well, how, how I, I'm you... not going to – I can give you – I can go on forever what I think what, what I think details a player and how we're trying to – You don't play. have to do forever. Like, just yeah, a but, minute you know, and a half would be fine. But what, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is I think one of the most important things, uh, if you want to keep on making strides uh, as an individual uh, and more importantly as a team and on top of that as an organization right on through – it's you want to be here, and uh, that's what I, I, I am very comfortable uh, and really happy about. I'm looking forward to this year because because they want to be here. Um, they want to be in the city. Uh, that's really important as we keep on pushing through here. And um, it was told to us right away, first day last year. I don't want to be here after this year in a number of different ways. Um, not this year. There's none of that around, and I think that really it, it, it can galvanize you to be a better person and a better player uh, when you're happy about where you're at and who you're doing it with. And the latter, most importantly, who you're doing it with because it is a team sport. Jeff Clay. You're saying you were told on day one of last season that those those players were not interested in being here beyond that season. Shit, Clay, we've gone over that. We went over that all last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Craig, front left. Uh, what's the importance of having Zach in camp? And also, you alluded to about not having any contract squabbles this year in your locker room. Yeah, yeah. It's it, uh, you know, there's a there's a kid that. Um, I had talked prior. I had talked to him. I've talked to him three times over the summer. And there wasn't a doubt in his mind uh, whether it gets done or not. There wasn't a doubt in his mind he was going to be here. And uh, that's what I appreciate. And because uh, he, uh, he wants to be here. He wants to be with his teammates. And again, to answer and, and the last question there, being with the right people, wanting to be with the people. That's so important to a team concept. And 
Um, yeah, so I think, and I don't want to get into the business end of it, but I think it's a, uh, uh, it's a really good situation for him uh, uh, as far as having an, three more years here to keep on progressing and, uh, and keep on learning the game with the people that he likes having around him. And I'm thrilled that he's here. He's a, he's a huge part to this team and organization. And I think uh, out of, uh, a player that has progressed, I, I, you're always tr talking about players progressing. He's made huge strides in some of the things we've asked of him and, and, and some of the way we've kind of pushed at him. Uh, I think he's, he's grown up really quickly here. And I, I, I just think there's so much more there. And I'm really anxious to watch that. Allison. John, you've taken this team through a couple evolutions, turning the defense into your engine, the offensive creativity. Are there wrinkles or new things to the on-ice identity you want to bring to the team this season? Yeah, I, I think in a general term, Allison, that I, 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 I think you go to um, uh, some inexperience in our goal, um, whoever it may be, one, two, three. I'm, I'm not sure where it all falls, but there is some inexperience there. We're not going to hide from that. I think we have to change a bit our style uh, in order for them to understand the league. Uh, uh, you know, Cor Corpy's been in the league for the played some games with the other two guys, uh, size of the rink and all that. They have to get used to that. I think we've got to be above the puck and we've got to be a little be thinking about a little bit more defense uh, and and trying to create our offense out of transition. It, the game of hockey is transition. Uh, it, it, that's what the game is. It, it, it's just where do you transition from? Uh, so we're going to really concentrate about being above that puck, uh, trying to let these guys uh, feel very comfortable that we have numbers back and, and not get into the odd man rushes. And uh, You know, we, we changed our style in the playoffs versus Tampa. Uh, so I think it really feeds nice into how we're going to try to approach as we start this year. Time for one more from Torch. Lori. Coach, you talk about it being a league of mistakes. As a coach, does that mean that you have to be more willing to try new things, or do you almost have to double down on a philosophy and get your guys to that place? No, I, I think, Lori, that the way I'd answer that is it, it's, it's not doubling down. It's, it's allowing them. It's, it's kind of almost the, the opposite. It, it's, it's allowing them to live through it. And it's been a, it's been a very difficult progression for me because I used to be that guy that you dot every damn I and T and, and you, almost, you almost turn them into robots. The puck's here, you're there, and the game isn't played that way, especially now. Um, so I think you need to let them, uh, let them go a little bit uh, and, and live through some of those mistakes without thinking they're going to be browbeated when they come to the bench. And, and I, I think players develop quicker when they try to figure it out on their own a little bit. I, I say again, it, but if it's constantly the same thing, then that's when we have to step in. So, um, yeah, it, it's a different game. It's a different game. It, it, it's changed so much here, it, for me, especially the last three years, is that you need to uh, 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 join in with them a little bit. They'll be disciplined certain times when it needs to be, but it's not always looking for that. It's not always looking for the mistakes. You kind of have to go the other way. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see where it goes. So, of course, you just heard Yarmo and, and 
John Tortorella's comments from this from today's press conference, and um, to the skeptics and everything like that, this team is good. This team will be good. Uh, just give it some time. Training camp opens tomorrow, of course. They'll have a practice this upcoming Saturday, and and on Tuesday will be the first exhibition game between the Buffalo Sabres, seven o'clock at Nationwide Arena. You're listening to All Andy Alford tonight. Right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening to us, thank you so, so much for tuning into the program tonight. And tonight, it's time for a special Andy Rants. So it's now time for Andy Rants tonight. And uh, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I know this was a little long podcast tonight. We had so much to discuss, of course. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every Tuesday, officially now, every Tuesday. And our special Falcon Friday edition every Friday as well. You can listen to the podcast here or you can find us on Facebook.com. We'll be doing a live stream every Friday for our Falcon Friday broadcast. And it's now time for Andy Rance tonight. And um, first and foremost, like I said, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. And to me... The whole waiver wire situation in the NCAA is absolutely stupid. Back in my day, we never would transfer to our schools. And if we did transfer, we we sat out a year. Now it's all the NCAA is looking into this and NCAA looking into that. Let's just figure this out. Set this up. Figure it out at the end of the season. Because we're having players like Matt McDonald being absolutely screwed out of the whole situation. Absolutely be taking out and losing his experience into playing with the team. But now it's it's Darius's Wade's team for Bowling Green. So we need to stop talking about a quarterback that should have been the starting position quarterback for this Brown and Orange team and move on from that. We absolutely should move on from that. Absolutely. My second Randy rant tonight is more of a passing. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with the McLeod family. Uh, Fred McLeod, the play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, passed away from us uh, yesterday. Um, a great man, cared about the Cavs, loved the Cavs. He played. He was a PA uh, play-by-play voice for the Detroit Pistons for a long period of time, and then when Dan Gilbert bought the Cleveland Cavaliers, he hopped on the opportunity to do play-by-play and giving us the beautiful call that he did in Oakland and winning a championship, getting the opportunity to see in his lifetime, seeing Cleveland winning a championship is absolutely a, will be probably his career moment for him as he is gone from us at the age of 64 and my thoughts and prayers are with him, his family, and the whole Cavs organization. And Red McLeod, dead at the age of 64. But of course today is the day that most Americans will never forget where they were on 9-11. Today is the... 18th anniversary of September 11th, 2019. 
the 18th anniversary of that terrible day. The absolute terrible day that shook this country to its core and showed that that terrorists can run our could run our lives but they will never run our lives they made us a, a better better Americans and better people and I love the quote that somebody wrote I wish that we could take every day like what September 12th 2001 was we didn't care about gender we didn't care about race we didn't care about whose sports teams we loved we didn't care about we don't care we didn't care about political parties we came together as Americans to give blood to help one another to help the victims to help the families that excuse me that were affected by this over 3000 people are gone because of this situation we're losing more every day from the firefighters and the and the police that were burying that were searching through the rubble because of all the toxins and to see this government pass the law for the 911 fund was absolutely fantastic I will never forget where I was when 9-11 happened. I was sitting in a classroom at Raymer Elementary in the basement doing a, uh, doing a test, an AR test. And uh, one of the teachers came in and said a plane hit the Trade Center. Does anybody want to watch what, anybody want to watch it? Nobody wanted to watch it. And um, so then the teacher was watching it in, in the other room. And she just she came back in. She said a second plane has just hit the World Trade Center. So we were done with our computer lab testing, and we went back into classroom. And um, my teacher at the time, Mr. Frey, asked us uh, if we wanted to watch it, and uh, we then came to the all agreement that we wanted to watch it in the class. Brought in one of the rolling TVs at the time, turned it on, and as we turned it on, we watched the South Tower fall. And collapse in front of us. Then it came over the PA system was uh, the principal at the time, Dr. Wittenberg. And she announced that that was happening. And as that was happening, we were watching the North Tower fall. And a lot of us started crying and started weeping. And the next thing you know, we were hearing parents picking up names over the PA system. And the parents getting picked up and uh, picking up their children for the day. And... I remember it because it was an election day here in Lucas County, where I'm from here in Toledo. And I remember it because we went to vote afterwards, and they told us that the most American thing that you can do is to vote. And like I said in the quote, it didn't matter, it doesn't matter about political parties. I wish we could all go back to what it was on September 12, 2001, where we were caring about one another caring about each other instead of individuals. I wish that we could go back to that part of this country. I really wish we could. That's going to wrap it up for Andy Rance tonight. Tonight, um, as we go off the air for you tonight, we will play Taps to honor the victims 
and their families that have made the ultimate sacrifice when saving people from from the Pentagon and from the World Trade Center and for those people that fought back in Shanksville, Pennsylvania on the on flight 93. We will never forget you. We will never forget what this day means. And we'll be back on Friday for another edition of All Andy Alfred. Till then, this is Andy Alfred saying, God bless America. And I love you guys. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred and on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alfred Network, powered by Anchor.